0: Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. of you who are kind of new, maybe you're watching us for the first time online or maybe you're in the room with us. This week or last Sunday was an absolute train wreck. It was a catastrophic internet failure. And I'm just going to tell y'all, this has been one of those weeks that I hope I never have to go through again. Because over the course of this past week, I have just been pulled in three different directions at the same time. I started working with the help of the team over here on the internet problems at nine o'clock last Sunday. And check this out. I called every internet provider in town. I called every cellular provider in America. I called satellite internet to try to get our problems fixed and we didn't get this fixed, listen to this, until nine o'clock last night with the help of my wife. Thank you, Dawn, for all of your help this week. Um, you, yeah, thank you for clapping for her. Um, it has been literally every day, all day long, all week until nine o'clock last night trying to get this broadcast online today. And at the same time, I have been trying to prepare for today's sermon, and I feel like I was in the middle of these two things that are pulling on me and no matter which way i went i was going to end up costing in the other area if i spent time fixing last sunday's problem i wouldn't be ready for this sunday and then i traveled on friday and saturday to north carolina and to be honest with you i was so stressed out that it was the first time ever that I got to the point where I was thinking, I'm gonna call the pastor of that church and I'm just gonna tell him, I can't make it. There's way too much happening here. And if I go to North Carolina, I'm not gonna be ready here on Sunday. This was the first time ever that I got this close to calling and saying, I'm sorry, but I can't make it. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, Jeff, you're a man of your word. You promised to be somewhere and you promised to do something. I want you to go to North Carolina and I will take care of the internet problems. And can I just tell you, when I went to North Carolina on Friday night and did this men's event in Southport, North Carolina, over 10 men gave their their soul to King Jesus on Friday night. And if it wasn't for following through with what I really said I was gonna do more than a year ago, um, I'm not sure that that would have happened. So I'm not asking you to kind of feel sorry for me today. What I'm trying to describe to you is I was in one of those weeks where I felt like I was being pulled in three, literally three directions all at the same time. And no matter which way I went, it was going to be a really big problem on the other, to the other two. I know you've been in circumstances like that. And when I was preparing for this Sunday's sermon, I read this passage of scripture, this very famous passage. If you've been in church, you've probably heard the story from Jerusalem on Jesus' final days, what's called Palm Sunday. But I don't know if you recognize these three forces that are all pulling against each other on the same day in the same city. And what imagery came to my mind is a pyramid. So if you've ever seen those pyramids, if you look back over the course of history, one of the most powerful human structures of all time are these pyramids that are 5,000 years old. Now look, I know that there's some fisheries in Australia and some temples in Malta that are older, but frankly, they're just a bunch of fallen down rocks right now. This stuff has weathered year after year of storms and time and everything else. And for almost 5,000 years, they're still standing. I refer to these things as incredibly powerful structures because you get the base right and you put the sides on it correctly And the top is going to take care of itself. And if you look at those enduring things in human history, perhaps nothing that humans have created stands the test of time better than these pyramids. These pyramids kept coming to my mind as I read this passage. And it made me wonder um, if there's like a pull in your life and you're being pulled in three different directions at once. Which one is most powerful? Which one gets your attention? Which one sits on top? And I got a question that we're going to have to answer today. And the question is, who sits on top of the pyramid of power in your life? Who makes the the decisions? Who calls the shots in your life? And the reason why I'm using this language today is because at one moment in Jerusalem, three forces come together. Maybe the only time that you see these three forces at the same place at the same time. And if you're living in Jerusalem, you got a choice to make. And I really believe all of us have the same challenges today and we all have the same choice to make today. So what we're going to do is we're going to open up the Bible. We're going to go to John chapter 12 as a church. We're just studying through the Bible book of John and we're trying to show you how Jesus matters to real life today. The sermon series that we've been through it for months now it's called Jesus in Real Life. And I want you to see how this matters today just like it did Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. There's going to be three angles that we have to look at, three sides to this power uh, paradigm, this power pyramid. And the first one that you're going to see very clearly uh, written between the lines of John is the Roman government. And actually, what I'm gonna talk about is our own human efforts to build a better society. Look, the truth is um, I see people all the time that get so passionate about politics. And they're so fired up about government, and they're so committed to trying to help make the world a better place. They just want it to happen through government. And I totally get it. If you're not a Christian and you're far from Jesus, this is the thing that has immense power in your life. So certainly you're going to put a lot of time and a lot of energy into a government that is going to be good for you and good for the future, The problem with this is there has never been a government on earth that has been able to create paradise or do good that lasts forever. Our best efforts are miserable failures when you look at them over the course of eternity. And I totally get why people far from Jesus would be fired up about government. What I don't get is why Christians get so passionate about government but don't really have a lot to say about the gospel. The Roman government is a power player in this moment. In John chapter 12, they're just not mentioned by name. So here's what happens, this is the Passover festival when people from, Jews from all over the world are required to stop what they're doing, go to Jerusalem and celebrate this holy festival. And John chapter 12 tells us about this very important moment in Jesus's life, starting in verse 12. Here's what the Bible tells us. It says, the next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took up palm branches, and they went out to meet him. Now, those palm branches are important. I'll tell you why in just a second. And they kept shouting, Hosanna, shout Hosanna out loud. Thank you, James, shouting it out like you meant it. I'll give you one more chance. Shout it out like you mean it. Hosanna. Okay, they shouted Hosanna, and this is a very loaded word. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Do you see what they're doing right here? They are declaring, Jesus, we want to make you king. And they're using very prominent imagery by these palm branches and they're also using this powerful word in ancient Israel the word that we associate with palm sunday can sometimes lose its significance what this word really means it is the greek version of the old testament word it's actually a phrase hoshea na that phrase only shows up one place in the bible in the Old Testament. It only shows up in Psalm 118. And in Psalm 118, that phrase is a desperate cry for help. It's the word that you would use if you were standing on the edge of a lake and you accidentally slipped and fell in and you can't swim. If you were a Jew in the Old Testament, you would shout out, Hoshea na, Hosanna. And the phrase literally means, Save me. Somebody help me because I'm drowning. And the language that the crowd is using right here is loaded language. They're saying, Help me. We're struggling. Help us. We're hurting. Help us, Jesus. We're drowning. This is the language that you hear from um, John when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on his last week. He's He's preparing himself for the cross, but the crowds don't recognize it. The crowds have heard about this rabbi who has the power to heal sick people and has the power to raise somebody back from the dead literally he is called lazarus back from the dead and when they throw the palm leaves in the road in front of them this is like a ticker tape parade in new york city it's like jesus riding in on a great white horse and they're declaring here he is this is our victorious general This is our commander, the one that's going to lead us to freedom. I want you to think about it like the queen going on parade in an open chariot or an open carriage through the streets of London. That's what this moment would have been like. Now I need you to picture that you're in Israel or you're in Jerusalem at this moment because you're scratching your head saying, Jeff, what does this have to do with the Roman government? Well, I'm gonna tell you something occurred to me when Dawn and I were in Israel just a couple of weeks ago that I have read the Bible over and over again and totally missed it. You see that at the same exact moment that Jesus is riding into town, there's also another leader riding into town. He's probably coming in on the other side of town And he embodies the entire Roman government. This is the moment where the governor of the uh, province, Pontius Pilate, comes into town to take over and to start calling the shots in Jerusalem. Now, would you do me a favor? Just picture that you're sitting in a coffee shop in the middle of Jerusalem, and you hear a crowd that starts to scream and yell from the right side of town, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you also hear a crowd that's screaming and yelling on the left side of the town, hey, here he is, the the deliverer's here, the Roman government has finally showed up, and the leader of all of the most powerful uh, government, on earth is here and you're stuck in that coffee shop and by the way while you're doing that here comes some pharisee who's kicking rocks and he's got his head down because he wants everybody to be shouting for him too and you are stuck in the middle of this three-way power play now you have to make a choice are you going to go to the right are you going to go to the left or you're going to listen to the Pharisees and please hear me real quickly. You don't get an option. You must make a choice and the choice that you make is going to cost you and there's no turning back. You see, the very moment that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate was also riding into Jerusalem. And all of the power of the emperor of Rome and all of the awesome strength of the Roman government was on display when this leader came in on a horse. And Jesus is coming in humble and on a donkey. And when they scream Hosanna, the crowd is literally saying, here is our victorious general. He is going to lead an army that's going to kick out Rome. And they miss it. Man, they miss it. You can't miss it any more than the way the crowds missed it. When Jesus rode into town, it makes sense that Pontius Pilate would come in on a horse. Jesus comes into town on a donkey, and I think everybody in town missed it. In fact, John does something very bold for us, and he is really honest, and he says, I even missed it. All of us, even the disciples, missed what was happening when the rightful king came into town. You see, Zechariah... Chapter nine, verse nine is the description of how God's rescuer, God's deliverer will show up. And instead of coming in on a horse, he's gonna come in on a donkey. Instead of riding in with a a military army behind him and great power, he's gonna show up humbly and he's gonna lead different. Listen to verse 14 as it picks up the way Jesus comes into town. Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it. Just as it is written, this is the prophecy from Zechariah. Don't be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming. He's sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. Pause for just a second. You know what John is saying here? There's no question in my mind that God prompted John to write the Bible. Because if I were John, there's no way I would have admitted out loud what he's admitting right now. When we saw Jesus come in, when we saw them shouting Hosanna and laying down palm branches, we completely missed the significance of what was really happening here. His disciples did not even, I'm going to throw the word even in there, his disciples did not even understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had, done these things to him. John is saying everybody missed it. The Roman government missed it. The Jewish people missed it. John is saying I even missed it and I've been following that man for years at this point and I didn't understand the significance of that donkey and those palm branches until after his death and his resurrection. And I kind of want to ask John at this moment, like, John, how did you miss the rightful king? How could you miss this suffering servant from Isaiah, the humble cult that Zechariah describes? And before you get too self-righteous and start to criticize John and everybody else in the crowd, maybe you would have missed it. I'm certain I would have missed it too because when Zechariah wrote this passage, what the Bible was saying is, Israel, you've been defeated over and over again. You were defeated by the Assyrians and taken into captivity. And then Judah, you were defeated by the Babylonians, and you were carted off into captivity. And then it was the Medes, and then it was the Persians, and it's just been one oppressive government after another. Now it's the Romans, and every child that grew up hearing stories about the deliverer, about Messiah, in their minds thought, he's coming on a horse, he's going to raise up an army, and he's going to kick out the oppressor. He's going to defeat the tyrant, and he's going to liberate us. All of us thought that, John said, until after he died on the cross. That radically shifted our idea of what he came to do in the first place. John is basically saying, we thought he was here to create an army, and to take over, and to become king by kicking out our greatest enemy. But what we didn't realize is our greatest enemy, listen to me right now, church, is not the tyrant outside. It's the tyrant inside of us. We need someone to deliver us from us. And the servant came to deliver you from sin and hell and the grave. And that's an enemy that every human on earth faces, and there is only one that can conquer sin and hell and the grave. And he doesn't show up on a white horse. He shows up humbly on a donkey. This was a radical paradigm shift for the Jews, and it was such a shift that John says, I totally missed it myself. All of us missed it. I don't know why I even found this article this week, but did you know on Friday of this week, the scientific community just got turned upside down? Are you aware of what they just discovered on Friday in this collider in Illinois? Anybody hear the story of this W particle that we just found? All right, listen to this. This may, it may totally bore you, but it fascinates me. Physicist, for the last 50 years, have been using math because every single time they've ever done physics on these small particles, particle physics, we've, they've always found the exact same particle with the exact same weight, meaning the exact same math formula. And then at this collider, this particle accelerator in Illinois this week, they found a particle called the w boson particle the problem is that this particle is radically different than anything physics has ever seen before and of course every credible scientist said well we've 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 done something wrong the math must be wrong we've got to go back and look over our research and every time they did the research it all came back the same way and it was all radically different the BBC reported on Friday that this W boson particle just threw everything that we know about physics out the window in one day. They sent the math everywhere in the physics community and everybody said, we're doing the math and it's all coming out the same way. And what we just found is something far heavier and far more powerful than anything we've ever seen in history. And now all of our 50 years of math is all thrown out the window because of this paradigm shifting W Boson particle. And now physicists are going back and scratching their head and saying, we've got to pretty much start from the drawing board. The only reason I'm telling you about this is not because I'm a physicist or a science nerd. It really feels to me like John is saying, when I saw him hanging on the cross, I had to throw everything that I believed about the rightful king out the window. Because I thought he was coming with an army. I thought he was gonna destroy the government and liberate his people. And then he dies in front of me. And I completely missed it. In fact, it isn't until after his resurrection that it started to make any sense. The real reason why the rightful king came in the first place. So you've got a Roman government that's at a power play in Jerusalem. You've got the rightful king coming into town. And then John doesn't want you to miss it. There's a third party that's at play here. And this third party has immense control over your life if you're in Israel. And this third party is, of course, the religious leaders. Uh, Not these guys again, right? John chapter 12 tells us what this moment looks like from their perspective. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with Jesus, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, look, that should be all you need to know, but they missed that. The crowd that had been around when that happened, they continued to testify. They continued to declare, this rabbi has power over life and death. And this is why the crowd, this is also why the crowd met him, because they heard that he had done this sign of bringing Lazarus back out of the tomb. Now here they are. Then the Pharisees said to one another, You see, like I told you this was going to happen. You see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. These guys at this moment, they cannot stand the fact that there are crowds of people that are shouting out hosanna to the king of kings the son of glory in fact if you read this story in some of the other first four books of the bible of the new testament you'll hear that the pharisees are so angry that they command jesus like tell jesus You better tell these crowds to stop what they're doing and stop singing or shouting out praises. And Jesus says, "Uh, if I were to tell the people to stop doing that, even the stones themselves would shout out the praise to the rightful king. These religious leaders can only think about themselves and they can only think about their own power and the fact that they're losing grip over the people right now. I want you to prepare yourself because I'm about to go on a tirade for just a second and it's going to be on purpose about religious leaders, about churches and about denominations. But before we get there, I want to just simply ask the question, how could they miss the sign that everybody else could see? This rabbi has healed a man who was born blind. We thought that was impossible. God himself couldn't do that, and he's already done it. He has healed a man who was crippled for almost 40 years, and he has brought a man back from the dead, declaring that he has power over sickness and over blindness and over death itself. How could you possibly miss who's standing in your midst? And all they can see is he doesn't measure up to what they were looking for. You see, what they were really looking for was a God, little g, that they could control. Somebody who, when they prayed, hey, we need you to do this for us, Jesus, he'll do what he asks them to do. Hey, Jesus, if you really are the powerful son of God, then I need you to heal my grandmother of cancer. And if you don't heal her from cancer, you're not all powerful. Hey, Jesus, if you're really that good of a God, I need you to fix my marriage because my husband is drinking and he is destroying our marriage. And if you're really a good God, you're going to fix my marriage. And when he doesn't do it, it destroys your faith. I know that you're aware of people who had these moments where they said, Jesus, I need you to do X for me. I need you to give me that perfect job, or I need you to help me get that beautiful house. And when he doesn't do it, their faith crumbles right underneath their feet. And what the Bible is telling us is he's the kind of savior who, when the great apostle Paul says, I'm hurting God and I need you to heal me and make the hurt go away, God says, no, I'm not gonna do that. What I'm gonna do for you, 2 Corinthians, is I'm going to give you my grace in the midst of your pain. And by the way, my grace is sufficient for you. And the religious leaders couldn't see it because they were so consumed with control. And this is where it just hits home for all of us. This is where it hits home for me. Because there are denominations out there that their sole purpose in life is to just control you so that another denomination won't. There are religious leaders out there. There are pastors out there that what they do is they basically preach a sermon every week on do this and don't do that. Be a good girl don't be a bad boy, and then God is going to let you into heaven. And what they're doing is trying to exercise control over you. So when you see our core values and you read that phrase, living free, what we really mean is living free from the bondage of religion. Because all religion does is try to hold you under control and force you to follow a few rules. And maybe by following the rules, God's going to love you and he's going to let you into heaven. This is what every false religion on the planet offers. If you will do what we tell you to do, then maybe God will love you and maybe he'll let you into heaven. And every one of them are just trying to control you and trying to force you to follow their rules. Jesus came to liberate you from even this, even this religious rules, that man-made religion, trying to earn our way into heaven. Now, I'm going to put a challenge in front of you. But before I challenge you, I really have to say this to you. As I'm reading this passage, I'm thinking about me standing in Jerusalem. And I hear the crowds shouting Hosanna over here. And I see them carrying palm branches. And they're all saying that there's a rabbi who's coming into town who's going to lead an army and going to deliver us from Rome. And I hear the crowds shouting over here as the Roman government with all of its power and all of its pomp and circumstance starts to come into town. And I hear from behind me these religious leaders that are furious because they're losing control on both the left and the right. And you're stuck in the middle. I'm stuck in the middle. And I have a choice to make. Am I going to go to the left? And am I going to put my hope in the government? Am I going to go to the right and try to join team with a general that's going to rescue me but I really don't believe he's the one that's going to deliver me from me or am I going to try to follow the rules and be a good boy or a good girl and hope that God is going to be, a, be pleased with me and he's going to let me into heaven and the chances are everybody in Jerusalem missed it that day because even Jesus will sit on a hillside and he'll weep over this city and say, I wanted you to see who I was and to follow me, and you didn't, you couldn't see it. So can I just remind us of something? This struggle for control is really no struggle at all. Can I remind you of the fact that there really isn't a power struggle going on here? You see, God sent his son humbly as a servant on a donkey to deliver you from your greatest enemy, to deliver you from you. And only Jesus Christ can deliver you from you. Only his death and his resurrection can do that for you. But there is a moment, and I really have to say it at this point in the sermon, there is a moment where the righteous king is coming back with all of his power and all of his glory. Can somebody say amen? There's a moment where he is coming back and every eye will see him. Every ear will hear his voice. And the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and no one will be able to stand in his presence and grit your teeth and clench your fists and you would not be able to stand against him at that moment. When he comes back in power, everyone will realize who really was standing on planet Earth at that moment. We all missed it. Everybody missed it at this moment. This is the first moment in the last moment of Jesus' life. This is the last week of his life. And everyone in town missed it. But when he comes back again, the Bible is abundantly clear. No one will miss it because he will split the sky itself and all of us will see who's standing in our midst. And for those of you who have voluntarily bowed your knee now, you will see your coming Savior and the deliverance that's been promised for you. But for those who haven't at this moment, it's too late. And so the challenge that I want to put before us is really for two groups of people. Maybe somebody out here has never voluntarily surrendered total control, given everything in your life over to him, letting Jesus have authority over your soul if that's you i'm going to pray in just a second for you but let's just be honest for all the rest of us that desire to take over control of our life it stays with us forever and what you may need what i need is this second statement on the screens to lay your heart down all over again today and to say jesus you're the king which means you're in charge and i'm not and that means you control what i do and what i say And where I go. And I need to pray that prayer. Maybe you need to pray that prayer right now. So can you just bow your heads? Would you let me pray over us right now? And would you start to prepare your heart to go to the Lord's table and to take the Lord's communion or the Lord's supper today? God, I want to lift up somebody who's watching this broadcast online. Maybe somebody's driving in their car and they're hearing this. Maybe somebody's sitting in this room right now and there is a moment where they realize, "Uh uh-oh, I have been trying to call the shots. I have been trying to control my eternity. I have been trying to follow the rules and be a good boy and believe that by doing enough good things, my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. And then God will have no choice but to let me into heaven. And I realize today that if that were possible... There's no need for Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. There's no need for him to ride into town humbly on the back of a donkey. There's no need for him, the perfect man, to die this embarrassing, brutal death on the cross. And so, God, I really believe that the reason why Jesus was willing to do that is because that's the only way my soul can be cleaned up and made right with you. So here it is. God, I'm coming to you with nothing but mistakes and failures in my past. But I'm turning from them and I am turning to you and I am trusting you as my Lord and as my Savior. God, would you forgive me? God, would you heal me? God, would you claim kingdom control over my soul right now? And Father, I believe that if if that prayer is sincere, I believe that you hear it from heaven and I believe that you honor it. But I also know that God, all of us, Christians still struggle with the desire to step in and to take control and to place ourselves back at the top of the pyramid in our life. And when we do that, we have to push you off of the top of the pyramid and push you off of the throne and uh, we take your place. So God, would you help your people? Would you help me right now and your people to lay our hearts before you and to say, God, I need your help this week because I'm tempted to take control. Will you, take over? Will you call the shots? I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to radically follow your Holy Spirit today. God, would you do what only you can do? And would you touch your people? Would you move in power in their lives? God, would you do a miracle? And then for somebody who's getting real and serious with you for the first time, would you give us the privilege of finding out about that today? It's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen. Now here's what we're gonna do. When you take communion as a Christian, what you're doing is actually remembering Jesus' last supper and his sacrifice. When he gathered his disciples around on that last Passover meal, he handed them some bread and he said, hey, you know how we normally practice Passover and we pass bread around? Well, this bread isn't unleavened bread made from wheat. It's actually a representation of my body, which is about to be broken for you. And then he handed them a Cup with some wine in it. And he said, This wine really isn't just from grapes. It represents my blood. That's what it takes so that you could be forgiven. And then Jesus said to his children, Me and you, as often as you do this, I want you to remember me and remember the body and the blood that was broken and poured out for you. But he also says, You know what? I'm not going to do this with you again, Christian. Until I do it in my Father's kingdom. Meaning there is a meal coming where we will stand in or we will sit in God's presence and we will take a great feast when the bride of Christ, his church, is united with him and we spend eternity with our victorious king. So, We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.